Hey there, biz dads. We're back for another great week. This is going to be a fly by the seat of our pants episode with uh, no producer twist. Uh, the DJ and I are going to be uh, talking some football. We've got some interesting things where football and sports intersect. We'll talk about the championship weekend that we had and how the Browns suck again. We'll get into a cul-de-sac chat, a real interesting one for me because I want to talk a little bit about how to not get too wrapped up in your kids' sports. Everybody has that problem if you've got kids that are competitive. And our final four this week, the most boring NFL cities if you can't go to the game on Sunday. Let's jump into it. This week's Biz Dads. All right, Andres, I mentioned that it was a championship weekend. The Smyrna Slammers brought home the hardware from their tournament. Their very first ever 9U tournament, and they won uh, convincingly. Still had some horses in the barn as well from a pitching standpoint which was fun to watch but yeah man you can't win them all until you win the first one check that box that's fantastic i knew it was just a matter of time before the slammers took one home that's that's awesome i saw one of the smyrna players on sunday i think before the championship game in smyrna in his uh in his uni it's amazing these kids these days man they've got the braided necklaces they've got the oakley glasses they got the flat brimmed hats they got the pants all hiked up. I mean, they look, it definitely looked apart. Yeah, man, Ben, um, you know, all these kids are easily influenced by one another. It's pretty funny to watch. One of them wears a gold chain. They all wear gold chains, just like their MLB ears, you know, like they're out there with Cody Bellinger, you know, jacking home runs and, and making millions of dollars. I think we talked a little bit about how Ben had to save up his money to buy this $280 bat that I talk about that on the show. I can't remember. Yeah, um, you did. You know, it's funny because Part of what I want to talk about in the cul-de-sac chat is just that. Like I'm getting a bit, I love it. I love watching these kids play baseball, but I'm getting a bit concerned with myself that I'm turning into that dad. So you're going to have to talk me off that ledge. We'll get more into that in just a minute. But it was fun for them. They they really played very, very well. We still were able to come home. Thanks to the NFL Sunday ticket, I got to watch the Browns suck again. You know, Nana and Pop showed up at the baseball field in uh, in their Browns gear. And everyone looked at them like they were lost. But uh, <laughs> they went down to the local uh, watering hole, the Browns bar, and watched the game. Between the game, you know, the first two games and the championship game, the Browns disappointed all of us like we're used to them doing. Very first drive, Baker Mayfield throws an interception, and the Browns season is off to a Browns start. So there we are. Not everyone can be the Kansas City Chiefs rolling out on a Thursday night just mopping up the Houston Texans. We all have to suffer. Some of us have to suffer. <laughs> hey, man, just remember, there was a lot of lean years with Steve DeBerg and, I mean, Joe Montana, the great Joe Montana. Got us close in the playoffs a couple times, but, yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's fun. I'm glad the NFL's back. Yeah, we played Thursday night, so I, I definitely caught some of the game. And I don't know about you. I don't know if you saw any of the Thursday game, but, uh, you know, there was actually more fans in the stands than I anticipated. I didn't know what to expect, but watching the stands, you know, you didn't hear much crowd noise, but I did see, I thought there were more fans in, in the stands. And of course, just, you know, hearing the famous Al Michaels, I mean, I just remember growing up, shoot, being eight, nine, ten years old, I mean, him calling Monday Night Football with Frank Gifford and Dan Deardorff, and he's still at it 30 plus years later. It's amazing. Some things change and some things stay the same. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, look, I, I guess one of the big highlights for, for me from the NFL standpoint was um, was seeing, you know, our rookie running back from LSU. He had a really breakout game. Uh, that was cool. Yeah. I mean, Patrick, Patrick Mahomes obviously had his his big stats. I don't know. I thought the Houston Houston Texans were going to actually 
put up a little bit more fight defensively. They kind of had him flummoxed in the first couple drives, but uh, once the Chiefs settled in, yeah, it seemed like it was off to the races. What other storylines from the NFL weekend caught your attention? Well, I think what nobody expected was the success in New England and the failure in Tampa Bay. That was Mm -hmm. pretty interesting to watch. Um, Yeah. You know, Brady not really being his very Brady self, you know, seeing Cam Newton kind of do pretty well up under uh, the sleeveless wonder and Bill Belichick. It's going to be a crazy NFL season, but I'm I'm really excited about it because I do think there's some cool storylines outside of COVID. And can Belichick, it was Belichick the reason, can Brady survive in Tampa? All really cool stuff to watch. I, I think there's still the chalk is the chalk in the NFL. The Chiefs, the Saints... You know, the Rams looked really good against Dallas. Speaking of the Rams, I don't know if you watched that game, but Aaron Donald should Hmm. be thrown in jail or in handcuffs for what he does to people on the football field. That dude is an Uh, absolute beast. Yeah, Barstool had a great tweet, a video of him just being a bull. They called him a bully because he rushes two offensive linemen, knocks both of them down, then goes and completely disregards the fullback trying to block him and sacks the quarterback. Just an absolute man among boys in, in some scenarios, which is hard to say in the NFL. But pretty cool to watch. You know, your top sellers for the Fanatics opening weekend uh, were probably what you expected. Brady in his Bucks gear. The surprising one for me was, was Cam Newton. But then you've got Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and Nick Bosa. Um I will say that Lamar Jackson looks pretty good. I was hoping he would lay an egg against my Browns in his true, you know, kind of true second year as a starter, but he did not. Well, and what about, talk about being the GOAT to being the hero. I didn't watch the late Monday night game, but uh, didn't didn't Tennessee's kicker, is it Gotskowski? I never say his name right, but he missed four kicks and then ended up hitting the game winner. Um, three, three field goals and an extra point, And then ended up, you know, winning the game for him. So yeah, dude, I'll tell you my, um, growing up, one of my best friends was our, our kicker. And I should have known then the depth of weirdness that comes with kickers, but you know, same thing with the Browns, Siebert missed two field goals and they cut him. Then he gets picked up this week by the Bengals who they play Thursday night. <laughs> so, I mean, the NFL is a revolving door of kickers with these guys being total head cases and, God love them. They're great athletes, but man, it's a mental, it's like getting the shanks. Yeah. Well, we wouldn't be doing the NFL justice in our show and our, 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 our listeners justice if we didn't actually spend at least 60 seconds on the Falcons. I need to ask you a question. The Falcons have arguably one of the top receiving cores in the NFL in Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. Gurley, you know, running backs shelf life in the NFL is what an average of two or maybe three years. So, you know, you would say he's probably in his prime at this point, Todd Gurley. I mean, what's the problem? Yeah. Is it is it quarterback? Is it system? Is it the whole this the whole set of expectations is too high because they're you know they've got a lot of talent, but they're just not that good of a football team because. You know, there was a while there, like three years ago, when, I mean, the Falcons were literally a couple plays away from being a Super Bowl champion. And I just, I have said this, and I don't know what your opinion is. There is a question in here. But I kind of feel like the organization's never recovered from that. Super Bowl loss. Yeah. Um, You know, I never listened to local talk radio, sports talk radio, 
Um, but I heard great analysis today where they really pinned it on Dan Quinn, the, uh, the head coach. And I think was the most interesting part of it was how they did not adjust to the defensive fronts and the blitzes, the blitz packages that they were seeing, mm. how they continue to get fooled, but didn't do anything about it. And it's funny because if you, you go back to earlier in my week, I watched Arthur Blank on CNBC. Yeah. Because somebody on last week's podcast told me CNBC is an incredible forum for great news. He's but also he got a book out. He was, he was amazing on it. Andres. Yeah. And and I, I continued to just see, wow, this dude, what an incredible leader. His new book, Good Company, I can't wait to read it. I don't know if you've read it yet, but I cannot wait to get my hands on it. And I want to read it. And I'm actually going to buy the book probably instead of reading it on my iPad like I read most of them. But he was sitting there talking about profits versus um, taking care of your people. And, you know, they were talking about the survey from – 30 years ago that they just kind of resurfaced. And I think it was the wall street journal about how profits are the only focus that executives need to, to pay attention to. And, and he said, you know what, now that's changed. You need to focus on your profits, your people, um, and your community. And, and he does all of those things better than anybody. So does his partner, Bernie Marcus. But when you have a leader like that, it, 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 it led me to question after watching the Falcons, like, is it organizational, which I find very, very hard to believe, given right. how well he runs his business and everything? Um, you you don't ever really want to blame a coach because coaches, in my opinion, can put the product on the field, but they've got to produce. But, I mean, I think there was a lot of different questions in the organization, and they're going to have to have to figure it out because they are very talented. Their oh, defense man. will continue to struggle, in my opinion. They'll – they're going to need to score 40 points a game um, to stay in all these games. But I think, uh, you know, I think when you've got that kind of talent, you're paying Matt Ryan that kind of money, and you got a guy like Gurley. I mean, Gurley, there's something been up with him in the last couple of years anyway. Yeah, but, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think it's one game at the end of the day, but that's something they got to pay attention to. Yeah, I was talking to my neighbor, just, you know, cul-de-sac – cul-de-sac chat this afternoon and we were talking about football as the kids were running around and I it's so it's so weird for me growing up as a Chiefs fan because we were always you know oh pretty good team but just never could really get through the wild card round or got through the divisional round but could never win the AFC championship um, and then everything kind of changed a couple years ago and it's so weird now being on the receiving end of when you know another NFL you know fan who watches NFL football says, man, you know, not everybody in the NFL has the, you know, is so, you know, fortunate to have Patrick Mahomes. Like I've never, you know, it was always like it was Aikman with the Cowboys or it was Steve Young with the Niners, or it was, you know, Roethlisberger with the Steelers for a long time. And obviously Brady with the Pats. And it was always some other, you know, quarterback. And um, even for the chiefs for many years, it was Elway in the AFC West. And late in his career, he won a couple championships, you know, went to, what, five Super Bowls or something? Um, and so it's kind of just weird, like, being on the other end of that. I'm I'm going to be conscious not to become a jerk about Chiefs football <laughs> because I pride I pride myself on being, you know, the, 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 the hometown Midwest down-to-earth guy and uh, not letting the success go to my head. So hopefully that doesn't happen to the Chiefs. Well, here's your um, 
your your fun football fact for the week uh, in the form of a trivia question. Speaking of teams that have been able to not been able to find a franchise quarterback, we return yet to my Cleveland Browns. Do you know who the winningest quarterback in Cleveland up until 2019? The winningest quarterback in Cleveland between 2001 and 2019. Do you know who that is? Who won more games in Cleveland than any other quarterback? Oh, my God. I'm just going through in my head all the quarterbacks that you guys have had over that 20-year period. Well, I'll stop uh, you because he doesn't play for Cleveland. His name is Ben Roethlisberger, the quarterback <laughs> for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He won more games in Cleveland than any Cleveland starting quarterback up until Baker Mayfield and the they won eight games. When did he play in Cleveland? Did I miss something? No, that's the that's the funny part <laughs> is he played in Cleveland once a year and won more games than any other quarterback that started for the team that played eight there a season. That's the kind of shit that I have to deal with, pardon my French, but it is uh, it's the world of a Browns fan. Here's the parenting lesson. Teach your kids how to root for a really crappy team whatever sport they follow, because if they become a fan, they will deal with the misery that you've dealt with your entire life and learn to handle disappointment better than any of you, you know, super bowl chasing, super, you know, super franchise fan bases. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my kid's going to be tougher than your kid in the mental capacity of a sports fan, simply because he's suffered from the day. He was born. Yeah, we need to talk about later in the show, in in the segment, the Parenting 101. I know we're going to get to that about, as a fan, the agony of defeat. As a former athlete, you know this. The agony of defeat is so much more painful than the, than the joy of winning, you know? It's so true when you're a fan, you know, like, we always remember those games that we should have won, we could have won, we blew, you know, we blew it. And uh, yeah, being a Jayhawks basketball fan and a Chiefs fan, and and I can't say Royals because they've had success here and there, but but those two programs in particular, the Chiefs and the Jayhawks, man, there have been a lot of years where you're just convinced like this is our year, and then you know it just doesn't happen. But you get back in, you root for the team, and then one day they draft a kid out of Texas Tech. Well, look, I. Also, want to ask all the wives out there: When your husbands are passionate about their team and their team is not very good, don't find something, some funny meme on social media and then tag them in it. Because my wife did that today. At one point, the Browns were third and forty-one, and um, my wife decided to take a screen grab of it and post it on social media and tag me, which mm-hmm. I found. Just completely unfair because she knows it bothers me. She knows it does. Yeah. And she does it on purpose. And that's just not right. That's not right. You know, I don't do things that intentionally upset her, or at least I won't admit to any of them. And, um, you know, for me, as an example, I don't have a college team, right? I mean, yeah. We don't, the Moorhead State Eagles aren't on TV. Uh, You know, she's got her Bulldogs. You know, down here, college football's king. I've worked in college football for as long as I've worked. And, um, I don't have a football team that I live and die by. I I, I love the Bulldogs. I mean, sure. I, I want the Bulldogs sure. to be successful because I've rooted for them, you know, most of my life. But for me, it is it starts and stops with the Browns. Like that's the only real team that I'm very very passionate about. I love the Indians. I love the Braves, but I'm not like diehard 
The Browns, I live and die with, and I am miserable by, made miserable by. And it, and it sucks when they lose. And it sucks when I know they're going to lose. And the highlight of my whole year is the NFL draft. Because All right, so last question. Last question on the NFL before yeah. we move on. How much? And this this kind of does dovetail into a little bit of our of our the topic of our podcast, which is leadership and and being 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 leaders in our families, being leaders in our homes, being leaders you know to our kids through sports and school and other things. Do you think at the organization you talked about this with Arthur Blank? I mean, a first class leader super well-regarded, you know, for a lot of things um, and how he treats people and how he's taking care of people. Um, what do you think about the Browns' ownership? Is that the core of this thing turning around in the right direction? Or is the leadership at the top, like the ownership, the right, the right group, and it's just about getting the front office right and, you know, the right – pro personnel and and ultimately players what is it it's a great question i think it has everything to do with it i don't know if, from brown standpoint jim and d haslam are very very involved in the community uh he's invested in the team and you know they've had plenty of ups and downs and and, and you can't you can't be a winning team if you continue to have turnover yeah if you worked for a an organization that every year you had a new boss, there was no way you'd be able to really understand where you stand in the organization or what your five-year goals are, or what your plan is long-term. None of that is really doable when you have constant turnover, right? It's like right now, if Heidi wasn't in there taking care of your third employee. Right. My little man is up late. Uh, <laughs> No, that's awesome. If if you're continuing leadership turnover, not maybe not the ownership level, but at the executive level, how can you be successful? And you make the argument of if a if a head coach isn't successful in a year or two, what kind of leash do you give them? I don't know, but find me a an organization that's not a perennial winner. Or find me an organization that is a perennial winner that doesn't have stability at the top. The ownership may may not be where the stability is, but it is in the form of the front office, the general manager, the head coach, um, you know, their player personnel people, all of it. That's how you are successful in business. That's why sports is the greatest, in, you know, the greatest analogy of life, because it is sports. Sports is 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 business. It is, you know, I mean, I think there's tons of similarities. That was very eloquently said by me, but you get my point. It is what it is with the Browns. The biggest thing I have to the hard time swallowing is that it is harder to be this consistently bad for 20 years than mm. it is to be good for a couple. Like you got to yeah. really work to be this shitty for two decades of football. Yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> so I don't know what the answer is. I don't think they know either. Yeah. There's going to be a couple teams, I feel like, that come through all this change and transition they're going to become stronger franchises or the companies that really, and I, I believe this is true about business, the companies that had really strong cultures and really strong leadership and really strong foundation going into COVID, um, and I think this applies across the board, uh, are going to come through COVID stronger. And the companies that had disarray, disorganization, lack of culture, lack of commitment, 
um, unfocused going into COVID are really going to suffer. So yeah, I think we'll see on. how that plays out in sports. I think you're 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 right on, and I I mean I look at that all the time in my own business and in 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 you know the news and what we follow. Just how is leadership managing the change? I'll give you an example. Delta under Ed Bastian has just got it figured out. They understand what their customers are looking for and they have figured it out. I mean, I got a notification the other day that blew my mind that they have permanently eliminated change fees on domestic flights. I mean, that's just, that's just responding to your customer. Like that's just great, great news. We talked today. I was talking to uh, a great friend and a loyal listener, John Merkin, who's been you know this mentor of mine. And he was talking about how, you know, he's in the restaurant business and how you have the confidence when you walk in to their restaurant and the partitions that are built, that are put up that give you confidence versus when you walk into a competitive spot and they're hanging shower curtains from the ceiling to partition booths. Like, that stuff lasts, right? Those types of decisions while small last and they create an impression. You know, there's very few brands that get it right all the time. You know, Apple continues to, they the change in leadership. They had rocky, rocky years with Tim Cook, but he's figured it out. Right. Yeah. And I just think there's, there's examples like that. I think supposedly in Arthur's book, he talks specifically about, and I can't wait to hear this or read this. He talks specifically about some of the challenges that he had dealing with the decisions that were made from leadership that took over after he stepped down as CEO. I mean, that's, that's a big deal, right? Yeah. And it's the same yeah. for sports. So yeah. anyway, one of the other things, talking about perception, last thing on the NFL, I found it really interesting. A lot of social chatter, particularly from right. the boomer generation on the protests that the NFL exhibited this weekend and how a lot of people are saying, you know, they're, they're not going to continue to support the NFL and, and that kind of thing. Which I think is very unfortunate. You know, I think the players did did it really well and respectfully this weekend. I think it's always going to be a challenge that like we talked about way back when, when you involve the flag and people start tying it to patriotism and politics and everything in between. At the end of the day, they're using their voices um, and their platform to try to create change. And I don't always necessarily agree with that, but I'm I, I'm glad it was done somewhat peacefully it, it was done peacefully and it was done classy this weekend i think that's what i would sum it up as is it was at least done well, classy pretty, yeah i mean it's definitely a huge change from a year ago right i mean the nfl is you know i mean if a year ago teams had not come out of locker rooms for the national anthem man it, it it's just a different it's a different environment than we're in i think i saw the dolphins elected not to come out um i know the chiefs and texans I didn't see the pregame, but I know the Chiefs players, for the most part, were out on the field, and I think some of the Texans didn't come out. I think we're going to see a lot of that over the course of the year. I also read, though, from the standpoint of ratings, that ratings in a lot of sports are up. You know, basketball ratings are up, NFL ratings, I mean, they're only a weekend, but, I mean, maybe that changes over time. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a different It's going to be a different dialogue. I'm still kind of fascinated. I know it's a whole separate topic, and maybe we'll cover it in a different show. I'm still sort of fascinated with, and maybe it's just NFL personnel, and I, I'm no expert on personnel, so I don't, I don't seem to have, I don't claim to have any answer, but I'm still curious why Kaepernick hasn't been signed. I'm still curious about that, and I don't know if it's just there's not a spot as a backup on one of the 32 teams, or if it's 
something else. But it's just odd to me when you look at, you know, I don't know, maybe he's past his prime. It's We've talked about so much about him that has nothing to do with football and his ability on the field. Maybe he's just not the football player he was six, seven years ago. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting topic, and I, I don't know the answer. I will say this. It's fascinating to me that in sports in general, you always have at least a maverick or two. Someone yeah. who is willing to buck the trends and doesn't believe that there's any, there's any such thing as negative PR. And if you believe that Kaepernick doesn't have a job because of the negative PR, I would say, eh, there are GMs who would make change because they want, they don't believe there's anything, anything, any such thing as bad news. I don't know. I mean, the guy from a talent standpoint seems like he's got it, but somebody, something else is going on. That's not out there and not public and not talked about. Whatever that is, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't have know. an opinion on the topic. My my opinion yeah. is just that it's odd to me that there, out of thirty two teams, there are plenty of mavericks in the league who would take a chance for the for the story. You know, I don't know. Um, yeah. Definitely more to talk about. But one of the things I want to dive into is this week's cul-de-sac chat so let's jump into it if you got some time andres meet me out in the cul-de-sac yeah let's do it all right so sports is uh obviously the center of the olecki household um margaret ann's all in she's like super boy mom i'm obviously all in the grandparents are all in the aunts and uncles are all in like we're a sports family there ain't a whole hell hell else a hell lot of else going on. There aren't a lot. There isn't a lot going on. A lot of tongue twisters today. I have found myself now with a full year of travel baseball under my belt, starting to become that dad. And a year ago, this time I was very anti that dad. So I want to start a conversation and I want first, I want your opinion on that dad tell me what annoys you about your co-host talking about travel baseball too much tell me what annoys you about the other parents in your life who put too much time and energy and weight into their kids athletic success before they have ever reached high school give me andres's opinion on that dad because i don't think that's you but i also don't think you've gotten there yet so I'd yeah. like your opinion oh, I, today on that, Dad. Yeah, I I don't think we are there yet. Well, I'll give you an example of my weekend. So <laughs> Renzo's playing soccer. Uh, Frankie's playing soccer. I'm not head coaching either team. But I did offer to help um, with Renzo's team, an assistant. And um, the other dad was like, that's awesome. That'd be great. You're You're in. Put you down. His first game was Saturday, and it's, you know, it's six-year-olds. And so we get out there. They won the game. I mean, whatever. They're not even really keeping score. They, they, uh, they scored more goals than the other team, but who's care- who cares? But after the game, my lovely wife <laughs> comes up to me and said, now who is the head coach, you or Dave? <laughs> so 
I, I think I'm just not there yet because the, you know, the, the interest and the passion and the desire to see your kids succeed and your des- desire to see your kids get better is definitely there. Um, I Like you, I mean, it sounds like how you and Kevin grew up. It, it was a lot of sports year round, depending on, you know, who was going where, probably one or both parents were always there. You always had eyes on you. And it was about, you know, excelling. And clearly you did. You played Division One football. Sports was huge growing up for me. And it was it was the thing. It was the the main thing, especially for, you know, my dad, because he coached us. I mean, he coached us. And and I'm not saying like just me, but he coached my sister, my brother and me in all sports all the way through, you know, what, junior high um, and he would have probably done more than that if he could have, but obviously in middle school and high school he didn't, couldn't coach. But sports was huge and it was intense. But I didn't grow up playing until later on really competitive travel sports, like your kids are playing. Well, the and travel so the level, and the the travel. Yeah. And I'm sorry to interrupt you, but the travel and the specialization is is definitely new. And that's what I think creates a right. lot of so that those dads. Feels, that feels different. Yeah, I think that feels different because I feels like when I hear you talking, and I've asked you questions off off the air um, and some on, but I've asked you, you know, when all that kind of starts. It feels like it starts around seven, right? Eight. Around seven years yeah, old. Eight, they're eight year, yeah. So seven, eight years old. So you know, Frankie is very competitive in dance. She's very competitive in uh, in theater. Like, well, and there's her, no different. But there's no difference yeah. between a a theater mom right. or dad and a and a baseball mom or dad. It's right. the it's the notion that my kid has to be better than everyone else's kid. Yeah, and it's the same for school. I mean, yeah. I don't know if you ever deal with this, but we have some. I've had some interactions with parents where they're like, you know, well, my kid is gonna you know, be in target or, or, you know, they'll make the international baccalaureate program at Campbell. So it'll all be great. And we're talking about eight year olds, third graders right. at that point, it was yeah. second graders. It doesn't matter whether it's sports or dance or, or school or whatever, but there is this new mentality that is these parents driving their kids. And I am, I, the whole point of this conversation is that, I have found myself going down that very dark, windy road, and I hate it. Yeah, I. so what I observe of you is that you are always excited talking about the sports from the weekend perspective, like, oh, they took second, but they played hard, or they won this totally. weekend, you know, their first championship. I mean, I can see that, and I think that there's there's a ton of, obviously, pride and a ton of excitement and being a father and a parent, being there with your your parents and Ben's, you know, Ben's grandparents and, uh, and, and just seeing that. I mean, I remember, um, I remember at that age, like there was nothing better at that age than obviously playing well, winning, competing, being there with your buddies in the dugout before the game, after the game. And then you have that comfort of knowing like your family's all there too. So I could see how you could easily get wrapped up in it. And I could see how you could easily then say like, Oh, it's it's cool to be on the team, but it's even cooler to be a star on the team and yeah. to be come that next level. There's all this extra work. The one thing that's so different, 
and again, I'm not there yet, but what is so different is this notion of $300 bats and the look of the baseball team, right? You got to have the right glasses. You got to have the right gear. You got to have Andres, the, it's, it's a popularity it's, contest. It, it's uh, not about the kids. It's crazy. It's about us, the parents. And I'm the biggest, the biggest culprit. Like, I, uh, I mean, I'll tell you this. So I have this line that I walk of, and Margaret Ann tells me all the time, like, at this age, these kids have not fully grown into their bodies. There is the, genetics. She says it best. Genetics will eventually kick in. And, and these kids' paths will be forged by, most cases, their genetic makeup. Right? There are athletic people, there are non-athletic people, there are tall people, there are short people, there are skinny people, there are fast people, slow people, etc. Margaret and I are two opposite ends of the spectrum on that, right? Where we were both very athletic, but she was a fast kind of athletic and I was a pushing around kind of athletic. With Ben and with Andrew, I also in the back of my mind have this, all right, that'll eventually happen. These kids should have you know, an athletic ability, but you still have to work to be a good athlete, regardless of genetics. I, I fully believe that. But then there's the 10,000 hour rule, right? And that's where specialization comes in. We start talking about my son's going to be a major league baseball player. Well, we're going to have to be at the cages five days a week and we're going to have to pay a thousand. There are people that pay a thousand dollars a year for hitting coaches. Yeah. At eight, at eight nine years old. Right. A thousand dollars. And yeah. I've thought about it. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, do I have $1,000? No, I don't have $1,000 to spend. And even if I did, would I spend it? Should I spend it? No, I probably shouldn't. Because I don't need to be investing that money right now in Ben. But I am the guy who, you know, likes helping him raise money for that bat. And I bought him the bat last year for his first travel. He's got the, um, the, the sunglasses that make him look cool. And, you know, he's got the gear. Um, he wanted, you know, a certain kind of catcher's gear. I'm, I'm all in it. And I want my kid to be, I want my kid to be friends with all of the other kids who are well-to-do and are athletic. And, and it, it is, it, it's just part of the shitty part about where we live in the society we live in that we, we have to think that way because if your kid shows up in, you know, disheveled stuff, used equipment, what do the other kids think of them? And that crosses your mind as a parent, Right. Um, the fact of the matter is I got concerned when Ben started to show a little bit of a slump here where he had changed part of his hitting. He's getting, his arm is so much better. His fielding is so much better. His catching is so much better behind the plate, but his hitting has suffered a little bit. And as of late, the last few weeks, and I started letting it bother me, dude. I started letting it bother how I feel because my son wasn't hitting the way that he was supposed to, right? He was the cleanup hitter on the team for a year, and now he's moved down a couple spots. I let that bother me. He's eight. And, and, and not only is he eight, he's the third youngest kid on the team of 13 kids. He's still, you know, holding his own. But why do I let that bother me? I let it bother me because I'm too emotionally invested in something that doesn't really matter yet. Because no stats from his 9U 
Smyrna Slammer season are going to carry into high school when the coach comes and goes, he's a really great football player right now or basketball player or lacrosse player or baseball player. What was his batting average when he was nine? No one's going to ask that. Well, you see this, though, in in I think you see this what you're describing with youth sports. I think it, it also happens when you look at young professionals. So last week and the week before at my new job, we were interviewing for candidates for an acquisitions analyst. We had 800 or 900 applications for one job. Um, We ended up bringing in eight or 10 candidates. One of the things that I noticed about myself in talking to a lot of the candidates and looking at them and hearing them talk about their successes and experiences is I was looking to see how far have they traveled to get to where they are right there in that interview. And what I mean by that is how much did they have to overcome to be in that chair in that very interview? And you can tell really quick if somebody kind of, I want to say, grew up knowing that that was a possibility. But there were others that I interviewed with who had overcome a lot of circumstances. And that there's something valuable in that. Right. And I'll trace this all the way back to the youth sports. But at the end of the day, when it came down to the final three candidates, the the personal story and the resiliency and, you know, all of that mattered, but it didn't matter as much as can you get it done? Can you get the job done? Can you fit into the team? Will you be an asset? And in terms of sports, you know, there becomes this dividing line eventually or separation, whatever you call it, where at the age they're at right now and probably up until, I don't know, 10, 12, 14 years old, the hard work, the time you put in, all the opportunities you can provide to him and other parents can provide to these kids is going to get them to that level. But at some point, it will be about does Ben or the next kid, right, really want it to go to that next level? And I don't, I don't think I, so that, so, so the connection is, Like for those kids that I really identified, those young professionals and said, man, I really hope this person prepares well for the second interview because they're going to get a second interview. And then like in one case, the kid just wasn't ready. And I thought to myself, wow, I don't I don't I wonder if he could go back and rethink how he prepared and rethink because at that point it was about and we had gotten through a lot of the stuff to get to that point. And I think for Ben and a lot of these other young ball players, you know, they're blessed. And I hope they see that. I hope they recognize that at some point, maybe not today. And I hope that you guys as parents realize that the window of time in which you can have that kind of influence, you know, it's, it's not infinite, right? Because at some point he'll have to choose, like, do I really want to play football or do I really want to play baseball? Or maybe I want to play both. Yeah. But at the end of the day, he'll have to make that choice. And that doesn't mean it's permanent, but it does come down to a point of specialization in the world we live in now where 
unfortunately, yes, the system is built for if you want to be on the slammers or the equivalent dance troupe, you know, or the acting troupe or the piano troupe, you know, like it requires that extra level of commitment. And it's I always go back to the fact that I feel like the humanity in me always is like, how many kids could make the slammers if they had all that other stuff? They had rides to get there. They had the budget to play. They had, you know. Well, that like, was, that's what I'm going to say is I, there's actually a stat I want to I want to reference. I'll say two things. First, one, I hope you told that kid to, for his next interview that he needs to prepare better because that that's the type of opportunity, that's the type of feedback that more people need to give, in my opinion, so that that kid doesn't make that same mistake again. That one comment of just "Hey, bud," or you know, "Hey there," next time. Go the extra mile. Because what you're talking about is the grit and the ability to finish. Yeah. And I, I talk about that all the time. And, and, and the Olecki household, we have two things. One, we say finish strong, and we say we don't quit. And it's not like we're sitting at the dinner table and we're going, you know, don't quit on three. One, two, three, don't quit. We're not doing that. <laughs> it's not like we're that crazy. But we're – I tell the kids all the time, and I, I reference this about like a Drew Brees. I probably overdo it when it comes to the parenting moments, the coaching moments to say – Hey man, this is your homework. Let's, you got one more to go. Let's finish strong. Or, you know, we're almost done. Let's not quit on this. Let's finish picking up these sticks in the yard. That's the, that is the difference. Yeah. Most people is the ability to finish or, or not quit. But to your point, baseball, perfect example, 8% of major league best baseball players are African American. Mm-hmm. 8%. That means those kids are going to play other sports. Yeah. They're going to play other sports because they don't have the means to play baseball at the level you need to play baseball in order to get the opportunities or to be recognized for the opportunities for bigger, more visible programs, college programs, uh, and, and visibility with scouts. That is a massive issue. The pay to play issue in our country is a massive issue in that these sports have become so expensive, right? If you went and grabbed every kid in Smyrna and threw them on the baseball field it is without a doubt that some are at a bigger advantage because they have the equipment. Most importantly, they have a parent who is t- making the time to go practice. Ben wants to go to the ballpark probably two or three days a week outside of practice. We were there last uh, earlier tonight. I had an hour and a half between calls and scouts, and we went over to the ballpark and hit balls. That's awesome. Like, yeah. The par- I mean, that's a that's a real that's a bonding moment. But that's also I mean, you're you're showing that's that level advantage. of commitment because there's a ton of other things that you could be doing and running your company and spending time at home with the fam and all that. And so, but you know, I, I just always keeps- look back and hope I didn't really appreciate how much my dad committed in terms of sacrificing sleep, sacrificing work, sacrificing, you know, friends and family for the sake of being willing to, you know, take us out and do the simple stuff, you know, kick the ball, throw batting practice, take us to camps, pay for uniforms, get us new shoes. Um, I mean, and sometimes you just don't appreciate that stuff to your, to your much older. And I look back and think the kids, I felt blessed. I really, and I was blessed, but the, what, what makes me feel even better sometimes is to hear stories and to run into people in Newton, Kansas, who 
will come up to my dad and the the highlights of their youth were that team he coached when they were in third grade when they won their one and only first place trophy you know that type of stuff to me is the epitome of what youth sports is all about right i mean it's not just the winning it's cliche but it's you know it's providing that one kid that one shining moment right that that they remember for the rest of their life and it could be this past weekend with some of those kids who maybe end up giving up baseball in two years but they'll look back on that one fall late summer tournament and say hey we were champs and that's just an awesome feeling and i i i do i do hope that you don't beat yourself up too much about being really committed because you know at the end of the day you want to give your kids more than what you were given. That's not an indictment of, of your mom and dad. That's just the way no. that the world should work. And, and the you bar was fine. set high for both of us, yeah, right? Yeah, and he provided, they provided a ton for you. So, so you want to give back. And, and you and Margaret Ann grew up around sports. Look, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I don't think I'm that different. I spend a ton of energy on, and, and I think Heidi does too, and it, you know, it's just how we've approached it, like with school. You know, like I'm up in that school, president of foundation. I ran for school council. I don't know if I'll be elected. Part of that is that I, yeah, I want our school to be constantly getting better. But, uh, you know, part of that is that I want to know that, you know, my kids are out of school where there is resources and there's high morale and there's, you know, teachers and staff that have the tools that they need. And I'm like, Hey, if I can help make a difference, I'm going to make a difference. Does that make me, you know, the parent that's perceived by some as God, you can't just relax and let teachers be teachers. I don't know, but I'm not asking that question. I'm just getting to school, whether it be school or sports or whatever. Yeah. None of us should ever apologize for being involved in our kid's life because more people need to be. I got, we can have a whole conversation about this, but I got on a whole civil, but argument nonetheless at a dinner party, I think we talked about this last show about public school and it, and it, from my stance has always been family values, family involvement is what can truly drive change. And I know that there's a lot of variables associated with that. I get it. I'm not talking about that right now, but at the end of the day, I'm never going to apologize for being involved in my kid's life because candidly that time with all the craziness, all the stress that I have going on in my life, with work and way too many things on my plate professionally. What balances me is that time with Andrew and that time with Ben. Yeah. And and getting out to the ballpark or throwing the football around or riding bikes or whatever it is. And I appreciate you saying what you said. I'm too self-aware to let myself get too far down a path. And I'm also very fortunate that I'm surrounded by other parents, other families who are not that way either that we're all intense and we all want to provide for our kids and we all want to make sure our kids are doing the best that they can. But we're so blessed with the families that we surround ourselves with, like you guys, like our, our baseball families, that that normalizes us. That environment is what drives that level of balance, not the keeping up with the Joneses. Because while it's yeah. still always going to be there, there is a line, there is a limit, there is a, you know there are, are links that you need to know are too far 
So that's um, well, yeah. I I think uh, I think that's absolutely spot on, and and I think to your point, I'm sure you're like me, and we're probably like all those other parents and people that get out on fields with kids, do whether it's coaching, just helping them get better at their skills. Um, and it doesn't have to be sports. I mean, it could be, you know, whatever, teaching a kid how to play an instrument, teaching them a foreign language. I get more energy doing that at 6 o'clock, 6.30 than just about anything else. I mean, even after a long day of work, um, I'll go out there and there's nothing better than running around with, you know, eight or ten, six, eight-year-olds. And I'll get out of practice and you know, Heidi will be like, what'd you do? Like you're dripping wet. Like, and it's just because I've been engaged and I'm in that, what they call flow state. You know, you said this to me one time, you're like, dude, you need to be a coach. I think it was after basketball. Yeah, for sure. I mean, don't even talk to me about basketball because I probably will be that dad. You know, (laughs) I probably have been that dad, but that's just because I think it's one of those sports like that. It is a team sport. And I think we've talked about it. Like, you know, team sports, they don't have to be played super competitively, but they have the ability to build a ton of confidence in somebody. They have the ability to help teach life lessons, even at a really young age. And frankly, I think they're, if done the right way and then, you know, not overdone, I think they have a great way of helping teach parents a lot, you know, about no, no. my kid isn't the best. Well, and other and, parents can influence those parents. And the parents that I surround myself with influence me, whether they know it or not, in a positive way. Well, I haven't even talked about it, but the highlight of my Saturday, of my weekend, was Saturday where I got out there and worked with – we we started a flag football league. Eric Kamansky and I started a flag football league. You remember our friend Eric, way to play. We started a flag football league for Smyrna because there wasn't one. We had 80-something kids show up on Saturday, grades kindergarten through eighth grade. And dude, it was, it was amazing. Like I felt so amazing putting on, you know, my coach's hat and going out and working with these kids of all levels and, you know, running drills, evaluating kids, putting, you know, helping put the teams together and all that. It was truly amazing for me. And even doing it in the pouring down rain for a while on Saturday, it was just, it was incredible. So the ability that we have to spend that time with our kids and to give back like that. I mean, it's, again, it's, I think it's, it's rewarding on all sides. So. Yeah. Give me, give me 30 seconds infomercial on the flag football league, because Heidi was asking me, you need to ask Brad about flag football because Renzo wants to play flag football. We didn't make it to the tryout. Um, and I worry about overloading the kids with too much stuff now that school's getting ready to start and we're already in soccer but uh, I, I'm curious, how are you guys doing it? Are you doing a, a weekend practice game on the same day? What are, you guys, what are you guys organizing? The league is set up where the younger kids, kindergarten and first graders, we didn't have enough sign-up to form enough teams. So we decided we were going to run a really engaging clinic with the younger kids. So Andrew and his level, Renzo, their level, working with myself – a couple other adults and a couple of kids from Campbell's high school football team getting out there and teaching the kids the sport, teaching them all there is to know about the sport. That was the most fun I had, by the way, on Saturday. I was working with the younger kids. So we we then have the third and fourth graders, which we had a big group. That's Ben's age group. We had a big group of them sign up. Like 75% of the baseball team signed up for it. I mean, it's – and we have six teams there. 
And those six teams are going to show up half an hour before their quote-unquote game time for a practice, and then they're going to have a game. Cool. And it'll be a round-robin style you know, season um, playing the other five teams. The same goes for the uh, fifth. We combined the fifth through eighth graders because we didn't have a whole lot of the older kids and thought it, it could make sense based on the athletic ability of all of them that we we have four teams there. Same same scenario. No weeknight commitment, just Saturday, hour and a half, 60-minute game, 30-minute practice, and it's going to be competitive for sure. We want to focus on things that the organization that traditionally runs flag football doesn't. Keeping score, you know, a few stats. Not again, because we're not trying to find the next, you know, Mahomes, but we want these kids to learn to win and lose. And then football's a great team sport for, for learning that. So that's a big part of the setup. It'll run for, you know, eight weeks, and it keeps the kids active. Cool. That's great. Yeah. Well, look. That's awesome. Well, that congrats long... getting it organized. Thanks, man. It was a long – I couldn't have done it without Eric. He's, he's the brains behind the organization. I just had the idea. That was a long cul-de-sec chat. The street lights have come on. Our wives are calling us home for dinner. Let's go in and wrap this thing up. All right, Andres. Finishing up with this week's Final Four, there are very few, if any, fans in NFL stadiums on Sundays. <laughs> Which city would you hate to find yourself in as a fan of your NFL team if you can't go into the stadium because there is so little to do in that town? You go. Oh, man. Number one, Buffalo. I... Would not want to be in Buffalo on a Sunday if there wasn't a Bills game. I love my Buffalo fans. I love New York. Uh, nothing against it, but especially if it was snowy and blizzard conditions, um, I'm going to have a pass on that. The fans of Buffalo are going to throw you through a table <laughs> because if there's if they're not allowed in the stands, they're still the Bills Mafia is still tailgating. Exactly. What about so, you? For the Bills Mafia, that was Andres, not Brad. <laughs> um, well, I think the obvious one is probably people would say, Brad, you're a Browns fan. How do you not say Cleveland? Because aside from going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, what else is there to do in Cleveland? So that's probably another one on the top four yeah. list. That's What's your number fair. three? Probably fair. I know it'll offend a lot of NFL blue bloods because um, – the NFL isn't the NFL without the uh, the cheeseheads, but and I've been to the great state of Wisconsin, and it's a beautiful state. Been in the news a lot lately, but I don't know about Green Bay on a Sunday if there's no Packers game. You could always go to the strip mall right next door to Lambeau Field, since it sits like in the middle of a residential area. Yeah, that's true. That's a good one. Um, and because producer Twist isn't here, I'm going to say the city that I would least want to be in if I couldn't go to the NFL game, even though it's close to the wonderful Atlantic, would be Jacksonville. Yeah. Let's take our little dig at producer twist while we can. Yes, yeah. there's worse cities than Jacksonville in the NFL. I get it. Doesn't matter. Get the joke. Producer twist in here. We can make fun of her Jaguars because she was down there this weekend with her boo, Willie. You're still looking for a quarterback, aren't they, in Jacksonville? There's a nice golf course out there. They play the PGA, don't they, in Ponte Vedra? Oh, yeah. Sawgrass, TPC Sawgrass. Great spot. Yeah. Good track. Can't wait to play it one day. All right, man. Let's wrap this thing up. Another great episode. We're honing in on episode 25, the silver anniversary of the Biz Dads. We'll get there. 
Thanks for listening, everybody. That's this week's Biz Dads. We're out.